0: Welcome back to the learning to sit still podcast. I hope that you and your families are doing well and that many of you have been able to go back to work. I know a friend of mine who lives in another state is still working from home, which always has its pros and cons. One pro is that you can enjoy those snacks around your house that are in easy reach, but that usually leads to the cons of working from home. Weight gain. I heard someone tell their friends that whenever they see each other, they should just say, Have you lost weight? I know that it's a real struggle for many of us since the gyms are just beginning to open back up along with the city parks. And if you live in the South like me, it takes more dedication to walk outside due to the heat. But no matter the temperature, it's still nice to be out and about more. Today, I want to talk about Tamar, a woman who only had one chapter in the Bible, But her story would set off a chain of events and begin the singled-out lineage of Christ. I have always been intrigued by her story, so small, tucked away between the bigger story of Joseph's journey to greatness. So today, I would like to unpack her narrative and explore the lessons that are there for us. Her story really begins with Judah, the fourth son of Jacob and Leah judah chose to leave his father's household after he and his brothers sold their brother joseph into slavery they lied to their father saying that he was dead and their father grieved deeply refusing to be comforted saying that he would mourn till his death perhaps the brothers didn't anticipate jacob grieving so deeply over the loss of his favorite son but he does and he refuses to be comforted by anyone. Maybe the grief was too much for the guilty Judah to bear, because, if you remember, it was his idea to sell his brother, saying that there was no profit in killing him. So they sold him for twenty pieces of silver. I have a hunch that they never really enjoyed their gain. So whenever Jacob cried out in grief, the guilt was relived all over again for Judah and his brothers. He chooses to take up residence in the land of Canaan, a land filled with people who worshipped every god but the one true god. Whenever you flee from a situation because of guilt, chances are high that you will go to a place of compromise. Not only did Judah choose to dwell with those who were pagans, he also married one of their daughters, a woman who would bear him three sons, but their character would soon reveal just how far Judah had sunk. This is another reminder about the importance of choosing a spouse. Never settle for anything other than God's best. Judah married a woman who was a stumbling block to his faith. She hindered him from becoming a better person and from growing closer to God. Instead, she bore him three sons that would be raised in the pagan ways of her people, ending in two of the three dying." Be sure that you allow God to guide you in choosing a spouse. Put lots of prayer into this decision. You need someone who will encourage you in your walk with the Lord and help you become the best you can be for God. Judah did just the opposite. Now at the right time, Judah does what is expected of a father. He begins to look for a suitable wife for his unsuitable son. Tamar was chosen as the lucky bride, but in time Judah would see her more as a curse. Ur, his firstborn, was called a wicked man in the sight of the Lord. I don't know about you, but that tells me he must have been a very wicked man, so much so that God killed him. According to custom, Tamar was married to Onan, the secondborn, in an attempt to provide children for his brother and this is where his wicked heart was revealed knowing that the children would not be considered his according to the law he chose to not fulfill his duties maybe because he was simply self-centered or perhaps because he didn't like his brother whatever the reason god took his life as well At this point, Judah is beginning to think that Tamar is the reason his sons died, since she was the common denominator between the deaths of his sons. Sadly, he didn't even bother to examine his own heart to see if there was a reason why his sons were so rotten. But he would be confronted about that later. He tells his daughter-in-law that his son Sheila was not ready for marriage. He was too young. But if she would just return home to her father's house, he would send for her when the time was right. A promise he never intended." to keep now let's try to put ourselves in tamar's shoes she is given in marriage to a man she doesn't know that alone is hard for any of us to imagine to not have a say in your marriage is hard you could end up with a bum or someone who was mean and angry sadly she ended up with all three Er was a wicked man that is the only thing we actually know about him and that he was so wicked the lord killed him Tamar was now a childless widow, and her next husband was almost as bad as the first. So she goes from one bad marriage to another. He was a selfish individual who didn't care about anyone but himself. He would rather deny her the chance of having a child, something that gave a woman value in that culture, and only because he didn't want to raise children for his dead brother. That is selfishness at a whole new level. Now, she was not only stuck with a man who was evil, but one who would deny her a chance to be a mom. There must have been a great hurt in her heart. To be in the middle of that kind of a life is difficult for anyone to endure. Tragically, there are many people who suffer hurt that is not of their own making. They bear the consequences of someone else's choice to do wrong. Even though no one else knew what was going on behind the scenes, God did, and he was not pleased. Onan would pay dearly for his selfish decision and that is something that we can bank on that even though people may not see what's really going on God always sees and you can count on him to be the just judge and he will make all things right in the end. Tamar now looked to a third husband and another chance at being a mother but now it was her father-in-law who would refuse her that right. Instead, he lied to her and sent her home, back to her father's house, which was probably not the easiest to accept. Yet she did. Time passes, and she waits to hear news from Judah that Sheila was ready to marry her, but the news never arrived. However, word travels through the grapevine that Judah's wife has died, indicating that a significant amount of time could have passed. Tamar hears that her father-in-law is with his sheep-shearing friends, and she decides to take matters into her own hands. She would not be denied what was rightfully hers, a chance to bear a child, one that would carry on Judah's family name, which proves to be an important decision as we move forward with her story. Now, Tamar does the unthinkable. She concocts a plan to trick Judah into spending an evening with her by wearing the clothes of a prostitute. Can I just say that I have always found it interesting that she knew exactly how to trap him. She evidently realized that he was a man who could be seduced by a prostitute, meaning he may not have had the best reputation when it came to his social circle or how he spent his spare time, perhaps even before his wife died. This shows that people notice more than we give them credit for and we need to put our guard up for our reputation. But that is a little rabbit trail. Thank you for indulging me. Tamar places herself in a strategic position where her father-in-law is sure to notice her and notice her he does. What happens next confirms just how poor his character really was. As soon as he noticed her and what she was, he availed himself of her services. Without even realizing it, Judah fell for her velvet trap. Tamar shows just how smart she is when she asks for payment. Judah tells her that he will give her a kid from his flock, but that's not enough for her. She wants a pledge, a promise, that he would give it to her. After all, she knew he was not great at keeping his word. When he asks what she wants, she requests that he leave her three things—his signet, bracelets, and his staff, items that would be critical in the coming months and non-negotiable as to who the owner would be. The evening goes according to plan for both parties, though each had a different agenda. Tamar returns home, puts on her widow clothes again, and waits for her secret to be discovered. Meanwhile, Judah tries to retrieve his pledged items, but discovers that there never was a prostitute in the town of Timnath. This information doesn't seem to bother him, and he goes on his way. Three months later, news reaches Judah that his daughter in law Tamar has played the harlot. And what's worse, she is pregnant. This is where Judah's hypocrisy is fully revealed. He judges her for her sin and sentences her to death by fire. He who was guilty of the same sinful action, perhaps even more of multiple occurrences, was quick to point out someone else's sin and show no mercy and, on top of that, demand a cruel death. But Tamar wasn't ready to throw in the towel just yet. When she was summoned before Judah, she brought her insurance along, the three missing items of her father-in-law. She confronts him by telling him that the man who owned these items was the father of her child. Then Judah knew who was really guilty." And Judah acknowledged them and said, She hath been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Shelah my son, Genesis 39, verse 26. He realized that he had failed in his responsibilities, that he had been a man who refused to keep his word and was quick to cast judgment on another for a sin he was just as guilty of, if not more. Sometimes we need to be shown the hypocrisy of our sinful ways, especially when we are quick to condemn others for their sins. It is almost like the scenario Jesus told about in Matthew 7, where he speaks about not judging others. Judah hastily pointed out Tamar's splinter, but ignored the beam in his own eye. Before we ever judge someone, we need to examine our own hearts, and I believe if we did, there would be fewer judgments thrown around. I remember a saying that goes... I praise loudly and I criticize softly. Would you indulge me just one more time as we go down a side little rabbit trail? I, ha- I like rabbit trails. So if you can just stick with me for one moment. With the incident of Tamar's confrontation, Judah learned to accept responsibility for his actions, which came into play later when he was confronted by his brother Joseph regarding the stolen cup found in Benjamin's sack of grain. Judah tells Joseph that God has found out their iniquity regarding the incident with their other brother. It was Judah who spoke to the man he didn't even know was the missing brother. To this man, he confessed his wrong and would later receive forgiveness. May we follow this example to be quick to admit our wrong. It is the first step to repentance and reconciliation. It is not sin that prevents us from having a relationship with God. It is our refusal to admit and forsake our sin that hinders us. Psalms 32 verse 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Why is he blessed? Because his transgression is forgiven. Why is he forgiven? Because he has confessed it to the Lord. Reconciliation begins with a confession of our mistakes and ends with forgiveness. We will never be reconciled or know forgiveness until we learn to accept responsibility for our sin and confess it before God. May we always be willing to claim responsibility for our action and confess it to God. Now I promise I have chased my last rabbit for today. Back to Tamar's story. I want to wrap up with a few thoughts on how she handled the entire situation and point out something very interesting. When Tamar was brought to Judah and sentence had been cast, she didn't yell, scream, or even cry out for mercy. She didn't point fingers. She calmly but deliberately confronted the man who was as guilty as she for the situation she was in she also did it with discretion which i love it would seem that she sent the revealing items to him privately she did not display them publicly for all to see it was not her intention to embarrass or even ruin him she merely wanted to point out his own wrong and she left it in his court of what to do next how often has the holy spirit pointed at our own hypocrisy or sinful action and we have not heeded the reprimand I pray that each of us would have a heart that is tender, that is ready to confess as soon as we are convicted of our wrong. And then one last point I want to make is the significance of this incident. Judah unknowingly was the son God had chosen to be the bloodline for the world's redeemer. Out of all the sons of Jacob, God decided it would be Judah, we may never know why he chose him but judah the one that seemed to have a lot of the problems was the one god chose and when judah married the canaanite woman she bore him three sons two of which would die before producing an heir leaving only shelah but it seems that judah had no intention of ever marrying him to tamar meaning that his family tree would end with him And he didn't even care. But Tamar refused to let that happen. She was determined to produce a child. She would not be denied what she believed was rightfully hers. She fought to have a child and gave birth to twin boys, Pharaz and Zara. It would be Faraz who would carry on the line. One that would beget kings and end with the king of kings, the redeemer of the world. Tamar was willing to risk it all for a child to receive what she had been promised this got my wheels turning and i thought what about us We have been given so many promises of God, but how often do we pursue them? How often are we willing to risk everything for God to accomplish the plans he has for us, to claim, boldly claim those promises that he has given to us? We are told that God created us with a purpose. We have a future that involves being used to further his kingdom, but are we actively pursuing it? Are we more like Judah who gave little regard to the future? Are we determined to seek out his plan for our life, to go after it with no reserve so that we can stand before him on judgment, day and say we did our very best are we willing to go outside of our comfort zone to accomplish his will without hesitation tamar set in motion a plan that could have ended in death just to receive her greatest desire what are we willing to give our lives for and with that our episode is done for today i pray that it was a blessing and left you wanting to do more My goal with this podcast has always been to encourage, strengthen, and inspire you to live your best for Christ, to make a difference in our world, to be the light in the darkness that people so desperately need. May we never grow complacent with where we are, but always strive to know God more, to discover what he has for our life, no matter where it will take us. Tamar had no idea that her story would be recorded for the world to read over and over again. Often, those who make history never know the true impact of their actions on the generations to come. Are you willing to make a difference? To influence the next generation and inspire them to give their all for Christ? Is God speaking to your heart? I would love to pray with you, and you can send me an email at learningtositstill@gmail.com, at gmail.com, or you can message me on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me at Sit Still, my daughter. And if you have a few moments, Would you consider leaving me a review? It's helpful for search results, as the more reviews I have, the better chance of being suggested when people look for Christian podcasts. I hope you have a wonderful day. I pray God's blessings on you. And don't forget to take a moment each day to just sit still to know that he is God.